0: Hey, Andrew. Hey, Greg. It is, holy shit, it is January 29th. Uh, man, this year's going
1: by quick. Uh, what have you been up to? Uh, I have been singularly focused on one thing right now, Greg. Um, that, that is The Expanse. Oh, that's right. So, long time listeners will know that I watched the first season of the show many, like maybe a year or two ago. And I was just in peak, just like on my phone, playing Eternal, watching it at work, <laughs> like just not. And it's not a show that's conducive to that. And I was like, you know what? The show's got picked up by Amazon again. You know, the the fourth season that just came out through Amazon was apparently very well received. They already committed for their fifth season. I'm like, I've been craving some sci-fi. I'm going to start from the beginning and give it a shot. And I tell you what, it's one of those shows that's hooked me in a way that it's been a long time since I've wanted to just like, I, I have 10 minutes, I can watch 10 more minutes. Just, like, get any more of the story into me as fast as possible. Hmm. So, I'm in the third season. I highly recommend it to anyone who has any, even, like, a passing interest in sci-fi. Because it is just, for being a, a sci-fi, S-Y-F-Y, I guess, show, mm-hmm. the channel, the production of quality is incredible. Yeah. I mean, when I think about, like, I remember thinking the production in Alter Carbon was pretty good. And it feels similar to that. Yeah. Um, I forget, did you watch You watched that, right? No. No, you didn't? Okay. Um, there's some similar similarities there as far as the production style. But even that had some like, mm, this feels a little bit like, you know, CW-like set kind of thing. There is nothing like that in this show. I mean, the costumes are great. The makeup's great. The sets, whether you're in the spaceships or on the space stations, you know, in the office buildings, they make it feel really full and detailed in a way that is not common for those kind of shows, where it's just like, oh, we're in some warehouse, Right. Yeah, totally a warehouse yeah. in space. Um <laughs> I love it because the setting is crucial to the story. Like a lot there's a lot of shows out there where it's like, yeah, it's cool that it's in space, but it doesn't have to be in space. Not really. Are they doing a lot of things related to space and spaceships, like, not really? It's just kinda like, well, we want to make a sci fi show in the future, so there's some space stuff. But this is like deeply integrated into the fact that like they are in space always. And being in space kind of fucking blows. Because <laughs> <laughs> One of the nice things about the show is that there's a couple of, like, you know, rule of cool stuff and sci-fi jumping off points, but not many. They tried to make it very – I actually was doing some research, and the show was actually originally designed as a as a setting for an MMO, which then turned into a tabletop setting. Mm-hmm. And then someone came to the creators and were like, hey, you guys put so much research into this, like, way too much for a game. You should make it into, like, a novel series, which is what they did, and – um, it's two authors that actually write under one name, which is kind of interesting. And they each huh. they each write different point of view characters. Like they each have a group they write, and then they put them together to make the book, which I think is huh. novel. Uh, I've never heard of someone huh. doing it before. Um, I've read the books yet; they're definitely on the list to read. Um, I heard maybe they start to get a little weird because it's like they're on the book nine, and you know, as any series that goes that long, can tend to you know go different directions. But sure, uh, it seems like the show is just it's just they, they keep it very grounded, like. There's this nice engine that makes people go fast, but besides that, like, they try to be like, what is it like to actually be in space? You know, so you can see little things, like, there explosive decompression isn't really a thing. Like, only in certain settings does that actually happen. So, if mm-hmm. you get a railgun shot through your ship, it's like, oh, there's a hole. We gotta patch it. Like, the air is leaking out very quickly, but it's not like, paper's flying and everyone's flying over the place. It's just like, you know, that's not how it typically works, depending on the context. Similarly, like, you can survive in space for a little bit. You don't just, like, instantly explode or you know your Mm -hmm. your eyes explode or whatever like people will like do the proper thing and like they can open their space mask and like scratch themselves or grab something and pull it down if they need to like it's not a good idea to do but like you can do it if you absolutely have to um the space like outer space
0: isn't poison
1: right it's not i mean hard vacuum is very bad for you but it's not instant death right Uh, right 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 the actually having a show where the spaceships matter and do stuff is fun. Like, I haven't watched a show in a while. I think it's the last one I can think of is, like, Me, Battlestar, where it's like, oh, like, watching the ship combat is engaging and fun, and, like, seeing how they maneuver around in space is interesting. And, you know, it has that very much that Battlestar feel where it's not Star Wars, pew, 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 fly around like we're in the atmosphere. Like, the movements are very weird and spacey because that's what it would actually be like, and the kind of weapons they use and things. And, like, they don't have shields or whatever so like when a bunch of shrapnel or whatever hits a ship like that shit puts holes in it and that's a problem and you just get the very constant feeling that like even on the the bigger space stations they have carved out of asteroids or moons of Jupiter and Saturn like Eros or Ceres it's like you just kind of get the feeling at any point like at any point shit could go bad and we're all gonna die because we're in space (laughs) because you you are like you know that you're two bulkheads away from hard vacuum and not having water and air and all the things you need to survive, so it's uh, interesting in that way. I also say the characters, it's very much a, people say it's the Game of Thrones in space. I don't think it's quite the quality of, like, those early seasons of Game of Thrones, not quite the complexity either. It's a little bit of that for sure, Uh, but the characters are a lot of fun, and the main character, uh, there's kind of a couple main characters, but the main one, James Holden, he's, like, unequivocally good at the start of the show, which is not a character I've seen a lot lately, actually. We're so into, like, gray and anti-heroes and, you know, gruff or greedy or whatever, which, you know, we'll get to in a little bit. But just, like, this guy is an LG paladin. Like, that is his thing. Like, he just, like, wants to do good for good's sake. And, you know, the show's pretty brutal, so that's going to get stretched and tested, I think, and and what happens. But just having that perspective from the start is just, like kind of refreshing. So I just, I've been on a crusade just like convincing everyone I know to watch it. Cause it's just really fucking good. I, so watch I gotta it. say you're, you're selling me on it. I, um, I think you'd really like it. I mean, the first season definitely has that sort of puzzle box vibe that the first season of game of Thrones have. We are just like, what's who's doing what and why are they doing it? And yeah. know, the setting is, uh, you know, it's a couple hundred years in the future. We've basically populated the solar system. There is the United nations of earth, and Luna, all under Earth's control. There is Mars, which is was a colony, but is now its own state, for lack of a better term. There is effectively mm. a Cold War occurring between Mars and Earth. Uh, and then there's everybody else out in the solar system who are kind of commonly referred to as Belter, people who live in the asteroid belt or the ju- the moons of Jupiter and Saturn. And they're all mining, you know, ice and materials for the inner planets. And as you can imagine, they're treated pretty pretty poorly. And... Uh, they really kind of double down on some of the, you know, like you could imagine it being a couple hundred years from now, like Mars is like this very like militaristic kind of implied to be like almost communist society where it's like in order for them to survive on Mars and terraform their planet, they have to mobilize all their resources and all their population to do that. They don't have time for like, you know, capitalism and whatever else. It's like, we got to make this planet into, and their thing is like we as humans basically, turned Earth into a dumpster fire, we're going to make a new Eden mm. on Mars through awesome technology. Uh, and that sort of dynamic and that interplay is really, really interesting. Well, like I say, I mean, I I feel like you've sold me on it. If you're looking um, for a show, you know, and it's not not a huge commitment. It's, you know, what is it, like 13 episodes a season. There's four seasons out now. I said fifth's on the way. Uh, I, I was really happy. And, and the show moves at like a really good clip like there mm-hmm. was a really climactic thing that happened and I was just like wait this is season two episode three like this feels like it should be the end of a season like it's like nope just we're gonna keep going and it's like okay not in like a, a a reckless way but just like every episode I'm just like holy shit it's gonna happen next and not in like a <laughs> grimy like fake cliffhanger kind of way just like mm-hmm. you know kind of like those early seasons of Game of Thrones it's like man, a lot happened in this episode, a lot of revelations occurred, a lot of shit went down, like, what is going to happen next? And I, that's why I think it's just hooked me so much, is that sort of style has just really, really pulled me in. So yeah, listeners, get on it. And Greg, you get on it, <laughs> we can talk good. about it more. Maybe I will. But it's definitely not a watch it while you're folding laundry kind of kind of show, especially yeah, the first season. It
0: sounds like, yeah, a, you know, a, you know, you really got to hone in on it. Um yeah. um so I'm also watching a space show. Oh. Um although as of recording there's only one episode out of it. Oh. Um yeah. That so, space show. So Picard the first episode has come out and and chances are the um the, se- the second episode will be out by the time this is uh this episode's out in the world and I have been very hype on this show for some time, ever since the first trailer. But I'm not feeling great after episode one. I, uh. Oh, no. Yeah, it's, uh, it's rough. So I will say this I don't think this show is going to be too kind to people who have no familiarity with Next Generation. Um, because while at least so far it's not like you really need to be up on all the various plot points of next generation to to get this but like the character relationships i think are important you know like um and uh, having a little bit of background of like who the various players are in the star trek galaxy right like they're going to talk about romulans and the federation and starfleet and if you have a sense of, like, who those various powers are and their relationship to one another, well, you kind of need it. Um, So, to get that out of the way, but I feel like if you've seen a handful of episodes of Next Generation or maybe one or two of the movies, you're fine. You just need to kind of like, oh, right, that's Data, he's an android, he was on the crew. Um, But this show is a little weird because... Well, at least this episode. It really feels like they tried to cram so much into this episode and it feels like like a movie that was crunched down to an, to a half an hour, not a half an hour, 45 minutes. Um or this show is picking up. This is episode 1 picking up after like a Star Trek movie that never came out because it feels, I don't know, it just it feels like all the stuff that supposedly happened between the last movie nemesis and this this show it seems like it was a lot (laughs) um and it was important and some of it sounds really fucking cool and i wish we'd got to see it um and so not to spoil anything for folks who might be interested but um this is stuff you could pretty much glean from the the trailer so so this isn't Spoiler, but the plot kind of hinges around a mysterious girl with superpowers basically coming to, you know, the now retired Captain Picard for help. And this um, pulls him back into action, right, to help out this, you know, runaway mystery girl. And the speed at which the relationship between this mystery girl and Captain Picard develops is... Almost comical. Um, She basically, we're introduced to her and we realize, and we're introduced to the fact that, you know, she has powers and there are bad guys after her. And for some reason, she feels like she needs to find Captain Picard. Right? Um, So she uh, arrives at his vineyard where he's retired to be like, I don't know what's going on, but I know I need to find you to help me. And like within moments, he's saying things like, I will never leave you. You are the most important thing to me. This character he's never met before. <laughs> like, it's weird. I, um, I hate stuff like that. And that's that. why I say it feels... Well, and it, it feels like it something got cut out there. Like, it feels like there were scenes where he learned who she is. Or they had some adventure, right? She shows up and then they have an adventure and they have a chance to bond. But basically... And he's a famous man, and, and you know he's 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 a legendary captain, this retired figure. You know, like she just shows up at his vineyard and she's like, "Hey, let's chat." And he's like, "Okay, fine." <laughs> and um, within moments, they ha- he you know he's talking about this. So it it all feels a little rushed. And I hate to say this, but like a lot of these interactions don't feel like Jean Luc Picard. Mm. Um, and I'm comfortable with the idea that. In the years since we've last seen him, he's grown. He's changed. He, you know, he, you know, he's he's had new experiences experiences in his life, but it doesn't feel like kind of Luke felt in The Last Jedi, where you're like, oh, this guy's far away from the Luke I remember, but he's still Luke. This felt like whoever was writing it didn't really understand who Captain Picard is. <laughs> like, um. So I have some worries there and I'm kind of hoping that all of this is just kind of first episode hangups and they they're just tr- they're just trying to cram a lot in before they set it up and it'll get better. Um, I will say, um, I, I I mean, I love watching him be Picard. You know, I love just being there with him again, even if it isn't. I feel like it's not really an accurate Picard right now. Um, but I also will say that another positive because it so far it's all taking place on Earth. And the way the, you know, you, and this is the first time in, you know, kind of the next generation world where we're really seeing what Earth is, life on Earth is like in the 24th century. And because like there's transporter technologies, people are just like hopping around continents like it's no big deal. Like Picard's living in France on his like ancestral vineyard. And then he just needs to pop over to the Starfleet archives to find some stuff. And it's just in San Francisco. Right. <laughs> but it's just like, yeah, you just transport her over. Although there's a weird thing where clearly they're they're implying that like, oh, transporter technology is basically like just normal transportation around Earth now. Um, so he goes to the Starfleet archives. But then you have the shot of, you know, you're, you're, you're seeing him from behind and you're looking at the building and you're seeing him walk towards the building. And you're like, so he like took the transporter to be like 100 yards away in a parking lot. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> like when you just transport like right into the lobby, I guess. I don't know. Um, that was a little weird. One of the things I liked as they were, you know, as you were having kind of the uh, helicopter shot into, um, you know, future San Francisco, it goes over the Golden Gate Bridge. And there's just a nice little detail that the, just the surface of the Golden Gate Bridge that used to be a road is now just solar panels. Cause, right, because like, they oh, don't need roads. <laughs> right, they don't need roads. And, you know, the future world of Star Trek is still, like, really sentimental. So, like, of course they keep the bridge up.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they wouldn't tear down or repurpose it that would get rid of its beauty or something like that. Cause it'd be very un Star Trek-y. And well, it's this cultural that's... landmark. Um, um, and one other thing that I feel like
0: might be a problem with it long-term is that it's written like a nineties TV show, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but just dialogue wise, some of it's a little hokey and a little overdone, but it's like that Star Trek next generation writing. So, on one hand i'm like okay fine but they also have the way it's scored and shot is much more like prestige television but when you put those two things together it like really undercuts how like stilted and weird the dialogue is so the whole Mm, thing feels a little off i'm really hoping they find their footing in future episodes
1: wow i'm Sorry that it wasn't a knockout of the park initially. Hopefully um, they can recover, but yeah, I mean, we'll see I, I, again. I think I'll stick with it because
0: it's it's Star Trek and it, it's it's the it's the Star Trek characters I like. So I might just stick with it just for the kind of the warm, cozy blanket of it all. Uh,
1: did you feel like how did how are the other characters feeling to you do they feel feel good? That you've seen so far well so far as of episode
0: one picard is really the only recurring character mm, okay. um data is in it a little bit but so far he's only appearing in like dream and or flashback sequences uh, okay um so it's kind of nice i mean seeing them interact is kind of nice and you know there's there's one kind of dream sequence or flashback or or what have you where they're wearing the old uniforms again and i was like oh man it got me a little bit i'm not a nostalgic guy but it got me
1: <laughs> uh well good to know that maybe it's not a good thing for me to take a stab at having no connection or understanding at this point i mean i feel like if you if if you found a list of like the top 5
0: next generation episodes and watched those Just to get a sense for, like, who these characters are and what their relationships are, you'd be fine. Again, you don't need to know, like, the canon, really. It's more just, you know, when you see Captain Picard playing cards with a white guy, like, not white guy, but (laughs) his his skin is literally pale white and his eyes are, like, greenish white. You know, you know who that is. and You understand a little bit about their relationship. That's that's really it. Um, The rest is fine.
1: I was looking at a... um Reading some sort of list of like you know TNG best episodes or not even like like interesting or problematic episodes I don't know it was something and man I went down like a comment rabbit hole of just like reading a bunch of people talk about Star Trek and I was just like Jesus Christ Star Trek is fucking weird man
0: <laughs> yeah yeah it, it 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 do
1: be that way <laughs> um, it do yeah uh, so uh, it definitely made me realize because you know you say like oh just watch the top five top ten it'd be fine but like. You know that's not how I roll, Greg. I know it isn't, but I'm telling you, you don't
0: need to. Like, there is a lot of 90s-ass, primetime, hour-long TV show garbage in The Next Generation. Like, that show did not have a great budget all the time, and they reused a lot of sets and a lot of props and a lot of plots because they were doing like 50 episodes a year. It's not 50, but it's a lot. It's not like it's not like it is now where it's like eight episodes every three years. We're Netflix. It's not right. that. It's like they were just cranking these things out. And there are a lot of holodeck episodes where they're like cowboys for an hour. Um,
1: you don't need to do it. Yeah, I that kind of thread finally broke me. I was just like I reading some of the. Different episodes people are talking about and the different things that happen. I'm just like, I can't, I can't do this. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe I'll give it a go. Just a, a pass to the best of just to get the, the you yeah. watch the movies. Yeah. or something. You don't but. need to
0: mainline it. Uh, the movies, some of them are better than others, but the movies are really much more like action focused.
1: I was thinking more for like the big plot things. I feel like that is maybe where some of them occur. I don't know. There but. aren't, that's the thing. There aren't really big plot beats. Hmm. Um,
0: it it really is in many ways, a monster of the week show. Gotcha. Um, it, so like, there are probably some important like episodes in like, oh, this was a big moment for, um, for Picard. Like this was a big moment in his life that like, is probably important to know. Like, um, the two parter where he gets turned into a Borg is, is pretty important because, Later on in other movies and, and episodes, we realized that was a that was a really transformational time for him. Um, but I'm sure some, you know, content mill out there has said, like, here are the 10 episodes to, of Star Trek to watch before you watch Picard. That will probably get yeah.
1: you all you need. Gotcha. Very well. Maybe someday, maybe after The Expanse. I'm too, too hooked into that right now. Uh, but yeah, Greg, we watched another show that is in a different area. One that we've been talking about more lately, but uh, something that you watched twice, right? Yeah, I do think it's time we talk about Evangelion again. Oh, no, please. <laughs> no, just we're going to talk, talk about The Witcher. We're going to talk the about The Witcher. Me, hear the sound of me jumping out the window. It's falling in my death.
0: <laughs> um... Yeah, we watched The Witcher, and now you finally watched all of The Witcher. So yeah, now took, we can talk took me about a The bit. Witcher. I apologize.
1: That's okay. I was kind of slow rolling it, and then my friend was like, "Oh, let's watch it together." And I was like, "Yeah, but I really just want to watch it like <laughs> now." So it took all my self control to actually uh, do it um, in the way that uh, you know to be to be polite. So, but anyway, mm-hmm. I watched it. Um, it's sometimes it's nice to slow roll things too, because you have some time to think about yeah. it. It's just like me binging it in a day and being like, what? I watched the show. Okay, sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so I, I will say I, yeah, I will say, I think that this show does benefit from watching
0: the episodes a lot back to back. I would agree. I think that the, the, um, all right, well, let's just throw this out, out there. Um, obviously we're going to talk about the Witcher for like an hour or more. Uh, we're going to talk about all the plot points of the Witcher so if you haven't watched The Witcher on Netflix yet, go watch The Witcher. It's very good. And then come back and listen to this garbage. So watching them back to back, I do think helps make the timelines things a little bit more clear. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of easier to follow these kind of three intertwining plots when you're watching them back to back to back to back. Um, but yeah, this is a very good, very good show. Yeah. You liked it? I really did. Um I think as I was watching it, I liked it a lot. Um, I think in hindsight, I think that maybe I was a little blinded by some of the glitz isn't the right word. um, Because now that I kind of look back and like try to like survey the whole thing, I'm like, "Mm, there's a couple things I'm not sure about here. But um, I think that as far as when you think about what they've done here, let's adapt a dense um you know kind of sword and sorcery dark fantasy show that has very very little in common with game of thrones Other than just like a passing aesthetic similarity, like just looking at still shots, you might be like, oh, is this another Game of Thrones? It's kind of grayish and I see a sword. But (laughs) like, it's this thing that really nobody outside of the video game community and like the nerdiest of fantasy literature nerds, right? Because this is, you know, this is a Polish series that, you know, pretty far down the list, even for like, you know, fantasy heads. So it's this kind of no name thing. And there's only one name in it. And he's the guy who was in all those bad Superman movies. But to do this thing and to do it so well and to have it be as successful as it has been is pretty impressive.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I was when they announced this, you know, we were interested, but I think we were both a little like this, this could go bad. You know, like I just had in my head like 1990s Hercules. Like, that's what yes. I had is just like, this is what it, this is, I mean, obviously it's me be better than that, but I thought this is what this could be if it was done poorly. Just like, you know, disjointed, low budget, like, try and slam in a fairly well-known actor to bring in some appeal, but not really actually commit to this project, you know, just trying to be like, oh, maybe we can get a couple views out of it because it's, like you said, because it ha- has a passing resemblance to Game of Thrones, test the waters with another fantasy show, but not really commit. But it seems like by all metrics, this has been a big success for Netflix.
0: Yeah, I, I I think so. And a big success for The Witcher franchise. There were a lot of articles coming out, you know, right around as it was released on Netflix. All of a sudden, the the player counts on on Steam, which is the big PC game launcher. More people were playing The Witcher 3, the, the most recent Witcher game um, after the show came out than were playing it at the release of the game <laughs> like yeah like it just has like skyrocketed interest in this world and they just announced that they're gonna the first book or couple books in the series are reprinting a half a million copies of them because demand is so high you know yeah it's
1: amazing it's huge and it's what's what so this is what's interesting to me so we'll dive into more about what we like what we didn't like but i still want to talk more about this context of like this is a weird property like Like you said, this is, like, a, you know, dark fantasy, very sword, but, like, monsters are a big part of it, obviously, because he's a monster hunter. Like, there's a loose appeal, I think, a general appeal of just, like, you know, kind of gruff wanderer that is a little stoic, and, you know, you get this Mandalorian model, this is whatever, but, like, you can see him do cool action scenes, but... If you laid out a list of fantasy properties to adapt that would do really well, I wouldn't list this at the top of that list, personally.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, look at, you know, Amazon's just – right, Lord of the Rings, that one worked, right? Okay, do that again. hmm Also, Wheel I of think, Time, let's hedge our bets.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, like, you know, those are much – well, in some ways, closer to Game of Thrones instead of just, like, this bigger epic story, which I, I guess the Witcher could – can and could turn into – I don't really know. It feels smaller scale, which is good uh, in a certain way, especially after the, sort of the end of Game of Thrones being being like that. Um, I think also the focus on, like, fighting and combat is is a unique choice because I think that, like, you know, there are battle scenes in Game of Thrones that people really like, but, like, the sword play and that kind of stuff isn't really the point of Game of Thrones and therefore wasn't really a right. big part of the show, which is fine. Uh, I don't need it to be. That's not what it's there for, but this, this is a big part of this. Like it is, you know, it was adapted to a video game for a reason. I I think I've not read the books yet. I plan to at some point, um, you know, be one of those people that are contributing to, uh, the, uh, you know, half a million runs on, you know, I guess not because yeah. I'm going to buy it in digital, but anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and it's, but it's also like, it's also very quaint in a kind of way where it's like, there's elves and there's dwarves and, you know, it's, it's a little bit of more of a traditional fantasy in that way, which I think is something that I, I think people, you know, these big, you know, content producers are like, mm, maybe let's try and avoid right. some of the more hokey well, stuff.
0: And that's the that that's the one of the risks taking you're taking versus the Game of Thrones model, because the Game of Thrones model was, you know, the presence of magic is very limited. Mm-hmm. Um, and. The presence of traditional fantasy elements is other than it's basically dragons. Other than that, it's basically just a medieval, you know, political military thing. Um, Whereas in The Witcher, you've got magic and monsters from shot one and you've got elves and you've got dwarves. And we'll talk later. I'm really I really like the way they've done that. But also the way that and I think this is part of the, the charm of The Witcher books is the way that it weaves European folklore and fairy tales just into the background of things. Um, that is a bold step versus game of Thrones because game of Thrones was like, you could make the argument like game of Thrones. It's like, hey, it's fantasy, but we took all that nerd shit out. Right. You know, like if you're nervous about, you know, if, 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 if wizards and goblins make you nervous, well then you can watch game of Thrones. Um, and it's a much smaller cast, which is yep. riskier because you're putting more of the, you know, cause fewer people need to carry the show. You know, you can't have, you know, a wide range of actors and people can f- pick their favorites and you can love Cersei and hate Daenerys and still watch every episode. But this show is like three or
1: four characters, <laughs> um, and they have to carry it. Um, but... They did. Yeah. I, um, let's go, let's live in a little bit. So I think that, you know, I was a little bit nervous about Henry Cavill. Like you said, like I thought, I didn't think the Superman stuff was his fault. You know, um, I hadn't really seen him anything else besides that. Um, I felt that, you know, it was like token somewhat big name to get this off the ground, which I wasn't like totally thrilled with. But then we started hearing, you know, like, Oh no, like Henry Cavill's like, he's kind of one of us, man. Like, he said that the reason, I mean, and some of this could be, you know, Hollywood talk show bullshit, but like, you know, like to think I'm going to believe it for now. Just cause it makes me feel good. But like, you know, oh, well, like he plays a lot of video games and he played a lot of Witcher three. And when he heard rumblings, which was happening in Hollywood, he like just started digging around to be like, I, I need to do it. I need to do it. It needs to be me. And then like found the people who are making it and connected with them and then got signed on and then realized there was books and then read all the books and then like just wants to be this character so bad. And I think gross if even half of that's true like he wants to be the character and it shows on screen. Oh, he's uh, where has this Henry Cavill been?
0: <laughs> um I was very worried about him because I hated the Superman stuff. Again, I don't know how much it was his fault, but he certainly didn't rescue it. But and I saw him in in the latest Mission Impossible and my my feeling after watching that was this guy has great physicality. Like he's great in action scenes. He's got great presence. Um, but every time he opens his mouth, I get bummed out. <laughs> and I was like, I just don't know. But then then he does this, and I'm like, "Where have you been?" Um, he's able to sell he's able to sell this kind of tropey, kind of hokey character, but he's able to make it work. He's able to make you like this guy and empathize with this guy who You know, Geralt of Rivia, there's a lot of danger of him being a Mary Sue and being this, like, stereotypical edgelord, like, I'm the best fighter and the best magic boy. And I'm also really, really good at sex. Check out all my scars. Like, there's so much danger of that happening. But, and part of it's due to the writing, but also part, it's part of his performance that makes this all work really, really well. Um And he's able to do so much with just in the kind of nonverbal acting and the looks he gives other characters. And there's a scene in one episode where he's like uh, getting hassled by an innkeeper or something. And he wins the negotiation by just like taking a half a step closer to the innkeeper. And it's all in one shot. And it all just works because he has that physical presence. And he's able to do so much of the performance With just his physicality and his face and his posture and all of that. And that's really impressive.
1: Yeah. And I really appreciate that. One thing that I really like about this show, and I'll, you know, juxtapose it with Game of Thrones a little bit, is that, you know, especially on some of these lead characters, particularly him, uh, they committed as far as makeup and costume goes. like it would have been so easy and so attractive to be like, well, we want to make sure that Henry Cavill's, you know, handsome face is always unblemished. And, you know, maybe he gets the cat eyes every once in a while when he's glaring at somebody or whatever, you know, or, you know, he gets the, when he takes his mutagens and alchemy and whatever, like gets all like kind of fucked up. Like that only happens sometimes. It's like, no, like, or maybe his hair isn't white, you know, we'll just make a couple changes. And it's like, no, like they're just like, this is what the character looks like. And it, Those things matter in this context because he's supposed to be, you know, like an outcast because of the way he looks and because it's instantly recognizable. People are like, Oh, that's, that's a witcher or even more. That's freaking Gero Rivia. Like he's in some ways a celebrity as the show, you know, goes on, as the story goes on. And I just think that, you know, things like, you know, example, like, and these things don't always matter, but like, you know, Yenifer has purple eyes and that's a character trait that it's identifiable to people. And. Something that they didn't do in Game of Thrones was give Daenerys purple eyes, you know, which she has. Which, you know, is part of her allure and part of connection to her terror game pass. I get why he skips it like that. It's expensive, it's annoying, actors don't want to do it, whatever. But like I just appreciate that they leaned into without being campy, like leaned into like the hokiness and the, the tropes of this, like you said. Yeah, and um and I, I really like the way the show
0: objectifies Geralt. Like, um, and it's interesting the way it really goes out of its way to objectify Geralt and objectify Yennefer much less, Mm -hmm. um, which I think is really, really interesting. And I think there's an interesting theme in both of their stories about, you know, their bodies and the value that the society places on their bodies and, um, and the toll that takes on them. Yennefer obviously gives up a lot in order to have the body that she thinks will open doors for her. Geralt's um, entire career is just based on slowly destroying his own body. Um, But also like his weird mutated body is what gives him his powers, but also marks him out as an outcast. Um, so there's like some neat stuff there, but, um. I, I kind of like how horny the show is for Henry Cavill, because <laughs> generally, um, like if you look at Game of Thrones, it's mostly like, hey, let's put as many naked ladies on on screen as we can. And then like once a season, we'll have a naked dude. Yeah. It's like the opposite for The Witcher. It's like, no, 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 no. We're going to do it this this other way. And I'm like, that's refreshing. I like it. <laughs> Good.
1: Well, and it's nice because, you know, the it's almost necessary because you need to the show's trying to show you how sexy Henry Cavill is, as, you know, how sexy Geralt is, because inevitably, everybody, like, a lot of people, as, you know, if it goes the way that, at least, I mean, the games are a little different. But, like, the women in in this show are attracted to him, too, and, like, need to even overcome, like, the, the weird grossness of being a witcher. Like, show really needs to tell you, like, this man is sexy as fuck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, we need you to believe it so that it's believable when, you know, the other characters in the show are into him as well, which I think is... You know, one way to interpret it, but yeah, it is definitely, um, refreshing. And there,
0: there, there's some way that the way they do that makes his kind of almost cliched magnetism towards all the women, because that, that, that could so quickly become a dumb wish fulfillment. Again, Mary Sue thing of, you know, why does every woman in the world of this show want to fuck him? You know, Mm -hmm. like But it almost seems like for him, he's a little bummed out by it. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Like he, it's more like it's, you know, it's, it's, he doesn't like being this objectified all the time, you know? Yeah. Um, And I kind of like you know, like that's a, that's a good kind of twist on. Yeah. I mean, I think it's,
1: and it's a good kind of sexism message. Yeah. And I think it's, it fits in the themes, like you said, of like the use of his body, like his whole life is being a tool to defend like, right. To kill monsters and defend people and, and these sort of things. And this is just, you know, the objectification of his body is one more layer that, that he just has to like kind of gruffly deal with in his own way, except for like, which I, I thought they did well was like, I felt like and I guess the, the, the Jin episode where Geralt and Jennifer first meet, mm-hmm. there was definitely like a, a chemistry and magnetism there that I, Really felt on screen, which was good because you know there's a lot of, at least from my understanding, like you know a lot of back and forth and a lot of you know these two are not just like soulmates that are gonna be you know together forever, blah blah blah, but just like there is something that's like almost a- animalistic between the two of them that they just like can't stay away from each other mm-hmm. um, sexually. Right. Like that just seems to be in like romantically that like they this is like something that like almost they're both bummed out about. But yeah, like they just can't they just can't get over it. Yeah.
0: It gets in their own way. It gets in their way. Right.
1: Which is interesting.
0: Yeah. Um, I want to go back to a bit you mentioned earlier about how they weren't afraid to really lean into the makeup effects. Um, and like, oh, yeah, when when Geralt takes the various potions he needs to like they they make him look gross or, you know, think about the scene when he's fighting the Striga in the Betrayer Moon episode. And, like, at the end of that fight, and he's just, like, covered in blood and dirt. And it just, just looks awful. You know, it's not that attractive, like, post-fight fantasy thing of, like, oh, I got a little blood on my lip and my hair is tousled. You're like, oh, God, he's a corpse. Yeah. Um
1: I love but, that fight, by the way. Oh, Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Or, that was no, my one complaint about the show, is that I could have used, like, one or two more monster fights.
0: Yes. Yes. I, I I agree. Um, or that there's just in that when he's fighting and you know, he shows up and he's got this big, like cool chain and he's, you know, he's doing it and then it doesn't work. He just goes, fuck. (laughs) It's so good. But anyway, so, um, not afraid to make him ugly, but the, the makeup and performance work they did for Yennefer pre transformation was incredible. Yeah. Like, Typically, when a show or a movie needs to do like the hot girl transition, you know, Mm -hmm. where, oh, she lets her hair down and takes off her glasses and all of a sudden she's gorgeous, you know. But, you know, even before you're like, oh, she's she's super hot under those glasses. Like you're not fooling me movie. Um, The the the, you know, again, the, the makeup work, the performance work. They did, you know, was had to walk such a fine line of not making her like absurdly hideous, you know, right? Um, to the point where it feels like it is where the show's makeup is being cruel to people with, you know, w- with similar conditions. Um, but also not look so trivial where it's, you know, like, um, she's, you know, she's this the, the, the this, this stunning woman who just has like one droopy eye and like uh you know like yeah. they did they did it so well and made it look so believable um that when the transformation happens it's all the more stunning um but also not making her this like totally pathetic figure pre-transformation mm-hmm. right like we saw so much more of her personality and her development and she gradually becomes more and more empowered Even before the transformation, right? She kind of becomes the woman she wants to be before the transformation, um, which I thought was really well done because otherwise it gets problematic as fuck if it's like, oh, she's a timid mess and then she gets hot and then everything's fine, you know, whereas, but it's like she becomes confident and self assured and then the transformation is just kind of the final step to get the world th- to take her more seriously.
1: Yeah, I agree. I, yeah, you laid it out perfectly. I think that, you know, the fact that we see her in a romantic relationship and, you know, the, I forget that guy's name, um, some bullshit fantasy yeah, name, too. but, <laughs> um, you know, the, just like, yeah, just seeing her, she, she made a lot of progress and, and did those things. And she was probably happy with who she was at that point. Right. Because her personality had already come out that we see that occurs later. And, and because of what we know happens in the show, like, you know, that she has this resentment about it now. Because it didn't unlock the world for her like she thought it was going to. That, like, that sort of nihilism and that, like, not nihilism, but just, like, so much resentment surrounding that choice. And realizing that. But it's not done in a way like, oh, I was beautiful all along. It was just like. I was happy. I just, I thought I needed to do this because that's what the world was telling me I need to do. And it, and it didn't work and it sucks.
0: Right. But objectively the, the, the show is also saying that, oh, also the world was not going to accept you looking the old way either. Right. This just didn't, this, this just didn't work as, as well as you thought it would. And it had some, you know, and it just, it's kind of like, oh, the world still isn't taking you seriously. It's just not taking you seriously in a different way. Right. Right. Now now it's that, you know, nobody respects you for your talents because they all just want to fuck you, as opposed to nobody takes you seriously because you, you know, you you don't look the way they want you to. Um, So it's an interesting Catch-22, a a pretty neat little thing. I wish that Catch-22 was a little bit more obvious in the first viewings. It's only after two viewings and a lot of thinking about it where I've kind of put it all together, um, because I think that on kind of first or second viewing, that whole process and her motivations through it seem kind of obscure. And it's kind of like, wait, what? Why is she doing this? What is she? Why? Why does she want to go to this city? What's important? You know, and like, why does she need to be hot to do it? You know, Mm -hmm. it's all a little unclear and it comes out kind of muddled. And then that's when I think things can look problematic because it's like, it's just this kind of thing of like, oh, she, you know, becomes hot to get what she wants. And and, you know, now she's powerful and in control after she got hot. You like, eh, it doesn't quite add up that way. I just wish it was a little bit more clearly drawn in the show.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that we could have used a little more context. And this is I saw you wrote this complaint, too. Just like we got some and, you know, you can fill in the blanks, but just a little more context for the state of the world. Yeah. Through some of this, because like, OK, so we keep hearing out Nilfgaard and they're the bad guys. But we don't really know why outside of that they do bad stuff, which isn't the best, like in this kind of context, like it's fine if it's the bad guys you're fighting for now. But if they're the big bad of the show, like this other nation, what's wrong with this nation that, you know, is is, is so terrible and right. what's their motivations for invading some of that? I don't know how you work it in exactly in the context of the show, because our characters are sort of, I mean, you probably do it through Yennefer's point of view at some point in discussions at the, which is how they did most of it anyway. Um, as the sort of discussions we see between the mages at towards the end of the season.
0: Right, but that's not... One, that comes too late. Two, right. having a bunch of characters who I don't really know explain it to each other is not as effective as if the show had actually showed me right. some of these things. And one of the things that I think... One of the genius things of Game of Thrones is the opening sequence that is basically showing you the map right and showing you the locations that will be important and where they exist in relation to one another like that's very helpful and um that's and i'm not saying we necessarily need a map in the witcher but i'm seeing various cities and you know i didn't really realize in my first watch in like episode one and two that, okay, he starts in a town called Blavigan. And then later there's this story going on in a, in a city called Sintra, And those are two completely different places, right? Cause they kind of mm-hmm. look the same when you're in them. And yeah. um, it's all just kind of a gray medieval town. Um, and also I, I get the impression in the early episodes because, you know, we're spending time with Queen Calanthe And like she's coming back from battles and we're all like, ah, it's like battle world, you know, like these different like, you know, um, little city states and nations like they're always just fighting each other. Yeah. Which is fine. Right. You know, it's kind of a feudal warring states, period. Sure. But then to be like, oh, but Nilfgaard is the one to worry about. It's Mm -hmm. like, okay, but why? Because y- you can't go with the, m- with the thing of like, oh, well, they're just like invading and conquering, and that's bad. Because we have an otherwise peaceful world, right? Right. We don't. We're just getting into battles all over the place. Um, right. So, it, it, yeah, I wish there was a little bit more context, ev- either geographic geographical relationships or understanding the different factions and what they want. Because... I'm not saying that I need to know that Nilfgaard is trying to build the Death Star, but if all they're doing is just, like, expanding their empire, it's tough for me to really care right. about why they need to be stopped when my main character is just like, well, Geralt, he doesn't give a shit who the emperor is <laughs> or the king or whatever. He just he just wants to kill monsters and get be left alone. And Yennefer doesn't seem to care all that much either she just has her own ambitions and um like Geralt just kind of wants to run her little magic shop and you know and be left alone yeah so I'm just not sure why I care other than well I guess Nilfgaard killed Queen Kalanthi and some other guys who were kind of cool
1: yeah but like we don't really know if they were like good people or not you know what I mean but, like but, they didn't seem particularly great
0: but that's it you know but that's it like that's all really and like they use you know, bad guy magic and wear black outfits. So I know what you're, you're trying to tell me they're bad, but I just wish, yeah, you know, like I said, wish I had a little bit more there to teach me to give a shit because I'm happy giving a shit in like the monster of the week stuff. We're like, we're going on a mission to find a dragon and here's some guys and who do you trust? Like. That's cool um, because that's the kind of thing that Geralt is going to care about in the moment. We've been we've been captured by elves. How are we going to get out of this one? Um, like as opposed to but there's also some big political thing and a warring nation and a conquering army. And I also have to care about that. I'm not making the connections.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I I will say that, um, and I agree that I think one of the, the smartest things Game of Thrones did was make that map sequence. Because I think without that, I don't I don't believe the show would be as successful as it is. Because I think that it helped ground people and give people a context that is needs to be a constant reminder, especially for your average viewer. Um, Netflix made a very cool map uh, for, like, The Witcher. Um, uh-huh. Mobile friendly and everything that, like, I was kind of browsing around. I'm like, this is really cool. And it, like, points out, like oh, in this episode, they're here. And in this episode, they're here. And, like, you kind of go on a timeline to avoid spoilers. And, like, you know, I was kind of comparing it to, like, we both play The Witcher 3. Like, the map is, you know, it's the same map. And, like, mm-hmm. seeing where, where I'm used to playing the game and, like, where things are, and that was kind of a fun thing. But, like, that's not your average viewer's, like, experience and context. And similarly, like, even for Nilfgaard, it's like, I know that the canon of the books and the games is not really the same Uh, from my understanding, you know, that, like, so there's the books, and then the games sort of happen Afterwards, But the first one's not really a story. The second is a little more. But the third really t- kind of tends to want to be like, OK, this is actually going to be a continuation of the story. Yeah. Um, you know, Siri is like an adult. And um, but like once again, Nilfgaard is like they're not the bad guys in the game because there's not really like right. a mortal force of bad guys. It's like everyone's kind of shitty and just like fighting amongst themselves. And like Nilfgaard the big empire. But like you seem to kind of work for the emperor at points. And, you know, the connection to Siri there. So I'm not really sure how that plays in. I assume it's something they'll expand in further seasons. But I do agree that in this season, outside of like they're trying to get Siri through brutal means and you want to care about this little girl. Like, I don't know why. I mean, they tried to do a little bit of that with like when Yennefer goes to visit her former lover and they're like she kind of like points out that like and of course, kind of shitty. And it's like, yeah, but everything's kind of shitty. Yeah, like, but it's also...
0: Yeah, this is medieval Europe. Like, everything's the worst. Yeah. Um, one thing, you know, to, to add to the, the smart things Game of Thrones did here is um they did an excellent job in terms of production design. The design of the sets, the design of the costumes. Like, when you go from a scene in Winterfell to a scene in King's Landing, you cannot mix the two up. Yeah. Because... Not only are you know are this you know the architecture is is different. Um, it's not just a different coat of paint or oh they've got the blue flags, so that's them. Um, it's you know the 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 very architecture is different. The wardrobes are different. Even the hairstyles are different. And and you know they even did great things in the show of you know as. Sansa became more and more influenced by Cersei. You could see her her wardrobe and her hairstyle shifting less and less from a Winterfell style and more and more towards the King's Landing style. Um, and, you know, they had that, whereas The Witcher does not seem to really do that. So they're all just kind of big gray buildings. And everyone kind of seems to wear more or less the same kind of vaguely medieval clothes. So... I don't know where we are. I don't know when we are. Um, It's that was something they definitely could have learned from Game of Thrones. And honestly, one of the things that I hope all fantasy series in the future, just copy that, just do what Game of Thrones did. Um, It's it'll be a long time before we get tired of that, you know, just to have a a, a very distinctive, um, you know, production design for each major location now I know in Game of Thrones the cultural differences between um King's Landing and the North are more pronounced probably than the cultural differences between like Novigrad and Sintra in um in The Witcher but still it's helpful. But I'll also say while I'm on uh, I'm harping on this the games have mapped this out. Like the Skellige islands um in the games have a all of the characters there have a very different um style of dress and style of architecture and even different accents than the characters on the continent. And it's very, very, it works, you know, you know, the Skellige Islands in the games are basically like, oh, it's, it's Ireland. It's, (laughs) that's it. It's Ireland, but, but also, you know, but, but worse. Um, Ireland plus Vikings. Yes. (laughs) Very, very Northern Ireland. Um, so, but it works. You're like, I get it versus the continent, which is much more, you know, continental Europe. So the models there, but that they have skelligers in in the show, but uh, they look just like everybody else in the in the way they dress. So Yeah. The only people who have any distinctive style are basically the guys from Novigrad who, you know, Nof- dress like Nof-Gard. melted goths. Yeah. Can I say Novograd? Nilfgard.
1: Yeah. Um I, I agree. I think that and this is actually something I've struggled with in the game itself too. Like there are some extremes like I always tell. I can always tell when there's Nilfgaardians. Guardians. I can always tell when there's Skelligans. Like they have a very, you know, like you said, a very like very diverse or, or specific aesthetic and you know accents and these kind of things. But like everybody else, I've always kind of been like I don't. And that that's hard because, like you said, like there's if if the middle, if the juicy center of the continent is bunch a bunch of smaller like warring states that are all relatively similar, just ruled by different people. Like that is harder too that's where you can do better storytelling and some better set design you can make some differences i think that's where the map comes in handy too of just like yeah this is where this is is where that is like even the game is like where's redania where's Tamaria? i don't know where these places are i don't know who's in charge of these things like and like and i generally pretty paid pretty close attention maybe in the very initial kind of playthrough i was like i don't know these places are and didn't stick with me but sometimes i hate it in the game sometimes where not to digress but i'm just like they like want me to make a decision quickly and it basically like is like, basically, are you going to side with Temeria or Redania? I'm just like, I, I don't know who these places are. Like, <laughs> I'm just going to pick one because I don't fucking know. Right. I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know the context. Like, I know Nilfgaard is kind of, like, pretty, like, just, like, very, like, lawful, neutral, borderline lawful evil or whatever. Yeah. But, like, so maybe I'm not going to side with them. But, like, everyone else, I'm like, nah, I don't know. They're all kind of the same. So but, that is definitely a, a something to to sort of, like, tackle moving yeah,
0: forward. Yeah, and I think they'll get there. I, I, I think that the issue here is really one of budget, not of necessarily bad design decisions. Mm -hmm. I think that it's, you know, you get to a point where you're like, I, we only have so many sets and we only have, you know, a wardrobe budget that's, you know, so big. So yeah, everything's going to look a little samey. And that's, I it's acceptable. Again, this is not a, this is not a deal breaker for this show. It's just a little bit of like, well, like, you know, when, when we first meet um, the bar Jaskier, um, they're in that like, Weird, like, you know, you, you've got these, like, big wooden, like, almost treehouse things built onto the sides of these cliffs. And I'm like, ooh, that's a fantasy-ass location. I can't wait to see more of these. And then the show's like, nah, it's cool. We're just going to do gray towns from now on. Yeah. <laughs> towns yeah. and
1: forests. Um, yeah. Anyway, my well, gripe. I would say, like, you know, even in the game, like, diversity of location is not super strong. And besides, like, there's a big city of Novigrad, which is a very good design for a city in a video game. I will say though, and I don't know if you've gotten this far yet, Greg. So I won't spoil too much, but I just started the second expansion for Witcher 3 called Blood and Wine, and it actually takes you to a whole new area, which I did not know. And it is, it is the best. Everything about it is the best. The people that are from that place, like they kind of feel like they belong in the Witcher universe, but they're just like, they're like, just like super, super like, Three Musketeers, French, just like knights, knights errant, just like this like place of wine and love and poetry. And like, of course, you can imagine how Geralt acts in all this situation. But I didn't skip a single like sometimes I skip through some of the scenes just because I'm reading the text and I don't want to see the voice lines. But the voice acting is just so incredible because it's just like so ridiculous and over the top. It's fantastic. I hope someday this shows up in the show because it is glorious so oh, if you're still playing good. make sure you get to that point because it is awesome uh side note um Jess gear aka dandelion uh, no he he's Jess gear I I hate <laughs> I hate the name dandelion but apparently um, it's because that's Jess gear is polish for dandelion
0: do you know what that's great great work on on behalf of the uh of uh, of the folks who are doing that and um I've always hated that name it just it just seems so out of place Mm -hmm. and the fact that no one ever comments on how strange it is in the games bothers me like it would be one thing if it was like oh his name's Dandelion you know and he hates it (laughs) like but it sticks it's this nickname that's stuck and you know or whatever I always kind of liked it because
1: it's like it's not his clearly not his real name and he just like his what he goes by because he's like a ridiculous pomp you know what I mean like I just kind of felt like it was
0: yeah I mean I when I think of I don't know. I, I I just, I feel like at least the way he's portrayed in the games, like, um, as this kind of very flamboyant and, you know, overconfident kind of, um, braggadocio, right? Like, I don't associate that with a dandelion. You know, a dandelion <laughs> is this delicate little unassuming, you know, kind of dopey, kind of fragile, um... You know, floats away on a warm breeze. And I'm not saying you couldn't have a character with the name Dandelion, but it doesn't really match the characterization, right? Um, it, it, it's, uh, it it just never really added up for me. And I didn't. I, and 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 the way he's characterized in the games, this and this is this is totally my own hangup. Reminds me of a lot of a dude I used to know. <laughs> Oh, weird. Yeah. Just, well, part of it is just the character design facially just bears a striking resemblance, but also a little bit of like, you know, theater kid, a little over the top, a little performative all the time kind of personality. So I never liked the dandelion in the games, partially because he reminded me (laughs) of a person in my life. Um, who I thought was a bit annoying, and um, and again, all those other reasons, I am much more happy with the Jaskier in uh, in the show.
1: Theater guy from Greg's past, if you're listening, we apologize. Uh, you know who you are. <laughs> um, I don't yeah. Think they do. I- I like Jasky. Like I think it's a good name. I think it's a good choice. I agree with you. I think that for your average viewer, be like Daniel. What the fuck is that kind of name? Like, right. Like
0: what? Yeah. Uh,
1: but he's he's fun. Yeah. And I really and 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 it's the sort of thing in another
0: show I would have a problem with it, but his 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 style of humor, his delivery, his timing, his you know kind of um, speech patterns are all very twenty nineteen. Yeah. But I don't care. Because um, it works very well and he's doing like, it's a very, you know, classic fantasy role of kind of the jester or bard who accompanies the gruff hero. He's the voice of the audience, right? Right. So for him to be a little anachronistic because he is our stand-in, I like it. It works really well. And it's also the first time there's been a, like a fantasy bard in a, in, in a, a fantasy thing where um, the songs he plays aren't super fucking cringy. Yeah. It's just the right blend of something that sounds relatively period appropriate, but still like modern enough that you can kind of grasp onto it and kind of get into
1: it, you know? Yeah, they're making a soundtrack or like a, you know, a, a collection or whatever. People freaking love that song. Like, I feel like it's the last time I saw a song that was so much discussed, like if a pop cult, you know, from like a piece of media was probably like Frozen, which is yeah. weird. But like, I, you know, my YouTube algorithm is just like, you want to see all these metal covers of Toss a Coin to Your Witcher? I'm like, no, I don't care. <laughs> Stop <laughs> never, sending those. Never <laughs> in my life.
0: In fact, my life is now worse because I know they exist. <laughs> just like literally more than one every day just like watch this I'm like no i don't want to watch those
1: <laughs> stop it
0: but uh, but one of the great things about that is that that's such an important plot point this idea that oh a bard is going to improve geralt's public image through just through his songs right hmm and like that's the relationship like, oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to make I'm going to improve your public image and also the image of witchers generally Um, in exchange for what is he what is he getting out of it? Like some bodyguard stuff and like a companion, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Well, just like material, you know, like yeah. he, he oh, needs right, 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 to see right. adventures and get stuff to write good music about or good and you know good bard things about.
0: And so the show needs us to believe, in order for the plot to work, it needs us to believe that this guy with his fucking loot and his songs, like, those songs are going to spread through the kingdom and, you know, like, do actual, like, PR work for Geralt. And the fact that the show was able to do that with a catchy song, because then it gets in your head and you're like, oh, I get it. Yeah, I could see how this would spread. I would see how he would play this song in a bar and then people would leave the bar humming, toss a coin to your witcher, you know? Because this the, the song, the real song is actually that catchy. It gets in your head and you're like, okay, it worked. I got it. Like, that is so well done because so many times there there's like a song that somebody sings in one of these things and it's just some throwaway, forgettable thing and I'm just supposed to just go along with the suspension of disbelief that somehow the Bard is, is, you know, changing people's minds with these terrible songs that nobody cares
1: about. Um, Right. Genius work. Yeah. It's really, really, really good. And um, definitely, you know, as opposed to the Mandalorian, you know, like giving some reoccurring character dynamics is nice because, you know, he's a great foil for Geralt's character. You know, when the scene where Geralt's trying to, get some sleep and he's trying to He's fishing. I just love that scene. Just like, he's just so frustrated and you know, just they there, just making it a hundred times worse every minute he's there. And uh, you know, it's like I said, it's tropey, but it's fun. Like, it's just like, it's just a lot of fun. It's well executed. And that's what, you know, that's okay. Sometimes, uh, Greg, I want to talk about the narrative structure because this Mm -hmm. is what's on everyone's, this is the hot topic around the show, right? (laughs) The fact that, you know, up until roughly the end of the show, our three main characters, Geralt, Yennefer, and Ciri are on different timelines, not like multiverse timelines, just like their stories are happening asynchronously. Correct. And I've seen a lot, I've heard in, personally from friends, I've seen a lot on the internet, a lot of debate, um, you know, I linked an article that, uh, from io9, um, from the, uh, showrunner talking about um, just like the reception of that and why they did that. And I just wanted to know like your, your opinion on it and, and I'll go through mine then.
0: I mean, I think it makes sense from a storytelling perspective of, we know that these are our big main characters, right? They're going to, uh, they're going to be the central characters for however long the show runs. And, but we need to, we can't start the show with all of them together kind of going on their first adventure, because then I'm going to have to backfill the exposition later on. I'm going to have to, later on, tell Yennefer's origin story as a B-plot somewhere. Or I'm going to have to break the flow of the show so we can have a, an episode that takes us back to Yennefer's past. And I'm also going to have to tell the story of how, like, how Geralt and Ciri's you know, relationship came to be, like, what do these people have to do with each other? What's a fucking child of surprise? You know, I'm going to do all that stuff later on. Or I can do all of that now up front. And and that's your first season. But in order to do that, I'm going to have to get tricky with the timing. Um I, I like it because it allows each one of these kind of stories to really take the time it needs and develop and be its own thing. Um, You know, we got... Yennefer's kind of origin story spread out over three or four episodes, which is the time it needed. And we got, um, we got the story, the, 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 the kind of complicated, weird, how Siri becomes Geralt's responsibility. Like we got that in an episode, um, that got to build to it as opposed to like kind of flashbacky prequel stuff of like, well, I already know how this ends. I just need you to tell me how we got there. But you know, you don't really know how that episode is going to end up. And then you actually get the surprise uh, at the end of great. Now Geralt's got a kid he's responsible for, you know, I think that's such more interesting storytelling than trying to do it the other way of just prequelizing everything.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think it was a really neat idea. I think that, um, I understand why some people be confused. I had sort of heard that that was a thing. So I was paying attention. I also think, Particularly in episode three, when they juxtapose King Faltus of, I think, Temeria with, yeah. um, you know, you see, like, they take a point to, like, show him as a kid at the court. Yeah. Um, where Jennifer's ball, when she first comes out. And, like, it was pretty, like, you're, if you're paying attention at all, you'll notice that. And I think that was probably the biggest key for me. is like, oh, okay, like, I knew this was kind of happening. I kind of guess... Because prior to that, you don't doesn't really matter. There's nothing yeah. really going on. That's your first clue, and then by episode four and five, you're like, okay, this is happening in different orders. I get it. Because then you get this stuff where like you see Calente at different points, and that's your true clue. I think that you know I'm gonna be an asshole a little bit, Greg. And I just think that like people don't know how to w- fucking watch TV anymore and pay attention and actually like watch it and like listen to the things that are happening as opposed to be on their phone or whatever. And just like it's not. I get why people be confused. I think there's a couple things they could have done to clean it up but i don't really have any sympathy for people
0: yeah no well i think that i think that yes you're right um i think you know if you're not if you're not giving a show your full attention you don't have a ton of standing to talk about whether or not various narrative techniques are working i will say um i think the show wasn't sure if it wanted this to be a twist or not yeah or if it just wanted to, it, that sort of thing to be pretty obvious from the beginning. Um, i agree with and that. And I think that hurts it a little bit because, and I would almost say that it it could be that the first edit of this didn't try to set it up as a twist. You know, like you could imagine a version of this where every time we switch time frames, we put a year up there in front of it, you know, mm-hmm. a subtitle of like, you know. I, I actually um, think that would be great.
1: I actually think giving a name and a date on every like every major scene, you know, location or yes. story arc transition, I think that'd be fine. Yeah,
0: and I, and I think that because it feels like that when the twist is quote unquote revealed, it doesn't it doesn't really give you that moment of like, oh, I get it now, like because it also doesn't really coincide with any like big story moments.
1: Yeah, um, I agree. I, I really know, think that, that that you put it really well, like it couldn't decide if it wanted to be like a surprise or not. And I don't I think that because anyone who's watching it, unless you're watching it for the first time in isolation with no access to the Internet, like you either had heard something about it or someone's going to tell you, oh, don't worry about it. These are happening in different timelines. Like there's really no you don't really get anything out of that surprise, like you said.
0: Right. and And it doesn't. And the and that twist doesn't mirror something that's going on in the plot or th- or, or, or doesn't tell you anything thematically. Um, it doesn't, I'm trying to think of a, of a counter example of, you know, when the twist matches, you know, an element of the, of the narrative um, there's essentially finding out that these things are taking place years apart. Doesn't tell you anything about the story. Mm-hmm. If there was some theme in the story about like deception and assumptions and, or, or, or history, and the long impact of events, and blah, blah, blah. Like, if there was something going on in the story that kind of hit some of that, and then you realize what you're watching is not what you thought you were watching, and, you know, okay, then I believe that this was part of the twist, right? Because then the revelation matches a a, a thematic moment. But this one doesn't, it's just kind of like, oh, all right, yeah, I guess that makes more sense. Um, So, I either think they needed to go harder at twist, or just be like, it's not a twist, it's just... You know, this is taking place in 1780, and that's taking place in 1810.
1: Eh, right? You know, yeah. And I think it's important because, and I once again, much like with some of the costume designs and stuff, I really appreciate that they committed to this because they could have just tried to, like, well, we'll just make the characters like all the same. You know, we'll make it happen, simu- like simultaneously to make it fit a normal narrative structure. But the fact that Yennefer is like a couple hundred years old and Geralt's like in his 90s at this point, like. Those are important parts of their characters. Yes, and they like, are, and how they view the world. And I think that's like you can't. I don't think getting rid of that piece would be a, a benefit to the show. And Yes, characters. and
0: I think, and I think the fact that the show can't, like, I think that because it tried to keep the timeline stuff a little bit secret, um, I feel like you don't. It, it deprived the, especially the, the actress who plays Jennifer. Um, it deprived her of the opportunity to play present Yennefer a lot differently than past Yennefer, you know? Yeah, because it confiscated yeah, that, she's, that she's, thing she's, kind of a little bit. She's a lot older, and that should reflect in... I understand that, the, you know, it, they're doing the magical thing, so it doesn't reflect physically, but, like, it should reflect in her mannerisms and her, you know, and her personality. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't, and you're right, like, the age of these two characters who don't age like normal people needs to be discussed, but then it just seems like you're just kind of like, well, does anybody age? Who
1: ages in this world? Right, like, Jaskier doesn't seem to age despite, you know, I think the first, second, third episode happening over the course of, like, years, right? Right. And so that's kind of an important piece that they should probably work on, but I also, um, along these lines of the narrative structure, I wanted to say that I think it did a, another int- very interesting thing, very different thing narratively was sort of like the way the season ends with like the fact that for like most of the climactic final episode, Geralt's just like barely in it. Like <laughs> eh. sick in a wagon. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, this is so like weird, but also awesome. Cause like, yeah. Yeah. Yennefer is like the star of the show at, at that point. And I think that's really, you know, I, I think it's smart. I don't know. Like, I'm curious, you know, I'd I be, I'm going to be curious to read the books and see how it aligns and what they've changed to sort of make it feel, you know, less gross or potentially, or or more modern or in those kind of ways. I think also like obviously having a a woman showrunner is like going to imbue this show with like a different lens, which I think is really important. And I just thought it was so interesting that like his, his, his last bit of TV time was like you said, he fought some things, got his ass kicked, was going to die sick in a wagon, Kind of had some revelations about stuff from his past, whatever. And then he finds Siri and that's it. Meanwhile, Yennefer's yeah. like blowing like thousands of people up and just like this crazy, which by the way, that fight scene was like, that battle scene was like pretty cool. Yeah. Like yeah. lots of just weird, did a really cool magic job. stuff. Like it was fun to see that because like you said, like Game of Thrones, it's very, and that's the way it's supposed to be, very grounded, you know, very, there are the dragons, I guess. And, you know. White Walkers and stuff, but, like, outside of that, there's, like, not really fantasy stuff going on. It's basically just medieval combat, where this is, like, some fantasy nonsense, but it's fun. I will say that, and I I don't need a D&D manual, but the rules around how magic works are a little bit vague to me of just, like, they, you know, at one point you see people literally sacrificing themselves to turn into giant fireballs, and you're like, shit, that's brutal. But then, like, other people are doing kind of crazy stuff, and then not, like... Cause it it seemed to kind of apply early in the season that like doing magic takes something from you. Right. Or, or Or you you have to take it from
0: some other living thing, you know? Right. Like they've got, they turn those girls into
1: eels, which was gross and cool. And like, it seems like they're trying, like there's like, just makes a lot of questions. Right. We see that scene where they do the the portal hopping, which is a fun action scene. Yeah. But it's like, well, if you can do that at any point, like why not just like, there's a lot of situations in that last fight where like, man, a portal would be helpful right now. Don't you think? (laughs) Yeah. So it's just some stuff like that where you got to be careful where, like, I want to see cool off the wall fantasy stuff in this because that's part of the universe and that's part of the appeal. But you got to keep a little stay a little consistent and let me know, like, in some way what's going on. Like, I could kind of get the vibe that, like, the reason Jennifer could do the fire thing at the end was because she took all the fire from someplace else where I mean, I also felt like really like it's just like fucked up when the, the mage from Nilfgaard like she's like you have to sacrifice yourself to turn into a fireball that basically does nothing when we launch at this castle. It's just like yeah, that's shitty, but um, it, interesting. I, I just hope that it just be it could just be problematic from like a plot whole perspective moving forward, which will you know annoy some people, I'm sure.
0: Well, I I mean I think you have to have when you have magic in your fiction, you need to draw some rules around it because otherwise you run out of you, you the stakes disappear right, you know because. Well, they could just magic their way out of this. Like magic can do anything at any point. So, there aren't situations where I'm ever wondering what our characters are going to do to get out of this. And they're they're going to do the magic, you know. Um so like we we we've got a pretty good sense of the limits of Geralt's powers. Like um he's a dude that can get killed. Um yeah. he he's he's good at fighting and he's, you know, stronger and tougher than the average dude, but still mostly a dude. Um,
1: he's got some part of magic tricks he can use, you know, from time to time. Right. Just like the basic little,
0: but if, if he gets a knife in the belly, that's a knife in the belly. Yeah. Um, so I, I think we'll get there with the, with the magic. I'm, I'm, I'm not as worried about that. I do like, you know, to your earlier point about how, you know, there's almost like these kind of competing arcs of, um, Yen kind of ending the series at the peak of her power and Geralt kind of by the end of this series he's like a little bit beaten down mm-hmm. and um I think that sets up a really interesting dynamic of you know Geralt's you know you could imagine season two starting with Geralt being a little bit more of like old man Geralt you know like he's you know he's he's taken a lot of hits and he's getting tired and you know. And we've got a whole season of show to show to, to to see him getting to the point where he's a little worn out and beat up, you yeah, know, which is the as girl, opposed people to just no, Right. As opposed to just starting with like, up, oh, he's the grizzled old Wolverine. He don't want to fight no more. You know? Yeah. Um, We got there and we also got a sense of like, ooh, we saw him at his prime. We saw him in that fight in Blavigan where he just he just one shotted those dudes um, as, a great, then, yeah, as a great as a great yeah, fight scene. Oh, amazing. And then later on, he's just getting, he's getting beat up. Uh, um, So I like that. I like that dynamic. Um, And it gives, you know, it, it's kind of setting up that, you know, Geralt meets Siri and then Ciri, um, is basically saying she needs to find Yennefer, right? Is that kind of how it ends?
1: Yeah. Like she has a vision of the battle right. happening or happens, what's happened afterwards. And then, you know, uh, which is kind of like you said, it, it's sort of a, a fun mirror because, she begins the show needing to find Geralt and she ends the show needing to find Yennefer.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, again, the way they structured it was a lesser, a lesser show would have had this plot point of he he's reunited and, oh, she's looking for this woman. Oh, you know, this mysterious woman. But. Oh no, that's the femme fatale from my past. And if that's the first we're hearing of Yennefer, it's so tropey because you're like, of course it's your, of course it's your ex girlfriend, you know? Right. But because we saw their relationship develop, um, now when Geralt hears Ciri is looking for Yennefer, we feel with him like
1: what that means. Ah, mm-hmm. oh, it's so good. Yeah, and also that like, as a lesser show, a more traditional show would have. Had that last episode structured differently where, you know, maybe some of this stuff happens in the previous episode. And then at some point in the end, we get our three characters together and maybe Geralt, you know, Yennefer does all this cool stuff, but then she's burnt out. Geralt comes in and saves her and gets them all out, right? The hero comes to save the day. It's like, no, nope, mm-hmm. it's just going to end there, which I thought was just like, it, it was, it felt a little bit like not anticlimactic, but it was just like, it just felt different in a diff, in a way. Like yeah. I was like, kind of felt deflating, but also like, Well, this is a not exactly a cliffhanger, but like I want to, you know, it could that could still happen that way beginning the second season. But it didn't seem like that's direction it was trying to go because Geralt's beat the fuck. He almost died from a a ghoul bite. Uh, But yeah, it I'm really I mean, they said that um, the showrunner, she said that they've got she basically had plotted out seven seasons for Mm -hmm. the show, which I imagine mimics about how many I think there's about seven books. So
0: I'll say that's probably more Witcher than I need. (laughs) but I'm glad she's thinking ahead.
1: Yeah. I want to, I like to know what people have a a plan in mind and they want to, and that's, that's the one nice thing about following a completed book series is that (laughs) you have, you know, and it doesn't mean you need to follow up beat for beat. You can change whatever you need and, and alter things, but you know, and she also has the games to pull from if she so chooses, which clearly are because as I was reading, like the whole, like, the eyes and some of the looks and stuff like that's not in, that's not from the books. That's from the game. So like they're trying to oh, catch yeah. in on both audiences, which is, which is, I think is smart. Uh, so you've got a lot to work with and I think oh, it's you're got, definitely getting a bloody Baron episode Oh for sure. Um, I think that it's got enough to work with. I think it's got the legs that if they can, I think the second season will make or break the show. Cause mm-hmm. this was very, this is a very different experience. It was very specific. I'd say where we're going to, you know, the second season will show if people stick with this or not. And that's one question I want to talk about. Is like, what do you think is like the first big post Game of Thrones fantasy show? Like, what do you think and what seems like to be a big success uh, for the show and for Netflix? What do you think this means for like, does this think there's any effect on some of these other big fantasy projects or, or genre stuff coming coming out in the next few years? No, no. Um... I mean, I think that when we see either Lord of the Rings
0: or um, Wheel of Time, whichever one hits first, I think Lord of the Rings. It's going to be Wheel, Wheel of Time, Wars I again. think, because they're it it? Okay. well on the filming that. I think you're going to see it's going to look like it's aping the Witcher. But I think that's just because the lessons that the Witcher learned from Game of Thrones are probably a lot of the same lessons that Wheel of Time learned. So it's more just kind of probably parallel thought. Um But what I hope is that this shows that, you know, just that, you know, talent works and good source material works. Um, That's what I hope people get out of this, as opposed to just people being like, let's make the next Game of Thrones, HBO.
1: Right. That's where I feel that's the lesson I hope people learn is like a that Game of Thrones that wasn't it wasn't a flash in the pan as far as fantasy being a, you know. A real option for premier television Mm -hmm. that be that you can you can do something different, right? Like thematically different, structurally different, you know, visually somewhat different. Like you don't have to just like you said make the next Game of Thrones and gut your source material or or your style just to try and mimic that so people are into that. So I hope that that's a lesson they take for both. You know, Wheel Time's already you know like I said filming, so they are some things decided there. But I mean, for the Lord of Rings show, like you, you can use a different aesthetic and a different feel. You don't need to pull out the stuff that makes these things unique just to try and appeal to the, quote unquote, mass market that you mm-hmm. know, made Game of Thrones the biggest TV show in the world. So that's what I hope, at least.
0: I mean, at the very least, I hope we get more Witcher because I really like the Witcher. <laughs> I thought yeah. this was very, very good.
1: Yeah, it sounds like um, we are. I so. do hope
0: and I do hope that the next season gets more budget. Because there were a lot of times in this season where I kind of felt the budget, like a lot of the sets, they feel kind of empty. Not only are there just not a lot of people around, but like there's just not a lot like hanging on the walls or I know that sounds small, but like it feels like a lot of a lot of conversations in half empty rooms, which kind of makes it feel like, oh, I see where you saved some money here.
1: Yeah. And I will say that's the one thing I forgot I wanted to say was that I hope that's the other lesson is that like because we now have a second successful show from a streaming network that you can say companies can kind of take a breath and go, OK, we can put some money to this and it has a decent likelihood of succeeding, you know, not be so afraid. Cause I think that's has been the biggest fear of fantasy is like it's expensive, you know, it is. I yes. mean, even when you compare it to, you know, something about the expanse earlier, it's like, yeah, there's that's probably was a expensive show to make. But space CGI is a lot easier than monster CGI because yes. you're just making like boxes and and oh, don't be wrong the CGI and the space scenes there's generally like genuinely some really beautiful space shots in the expanse but those are very easy to make because you've got stars and the black background and you know just making spaceships which don't really have to be set against anything real where you know Geralt fighting that monster in the first episode or the worst example I think the worst offender which I'm not I'm not gonna fault the show the work with budget they have the dragons from the dragon episode like this is some like you know some rough like early 2000s buffy cgi right here like yeah um well wasn't great you
0: know as a a spaceship is a lot easier to animate you know it's it's angular metal correct um as opposed to a monster that has to have realistic hair and skin texture and um has to has to have muscles that move in a way
1: that look natural as opposed to a box that flies you know exactly yeah for yeah that's that's exactly what i was getting at so um but i just hope it's a signal that like hey streaming content networks whatever like you can put a little money behind these because people have an appetite for them more than just game of thrones yeah yeah anything else you have about the witcher greg are you still playing the game
0: um, no, I'm I'm I've I've taken a break from that to play other things, but um, I might go back once I start to probably after I, I listen to this episode in the edit
1: and get all <laughs> witcher hangry again. <laughs> uh, I would like to, I think I also like to rewatch it like you did because I think that pick up a lot of things and I just want to watch the fight scenes again, they're just fun. Yeah, he knows how to use a well, sword and
0: and yeah, the um, the timeline stuff really really gets clearer once you once you really have set in your head how these things add up um, it, it does become a lot more watchable um, uh, on the second round
1: good okay. Good to know. All right. Well,
0: are we going to I think that's that's it for The Witcher. So um, go watch The Witcher. Yeah. It's very that we
1: spoil The whole thing for you if you haven't watched it yet.
0: Yes. And if you if you have watched The Witcher, go watch The Outsider on HBO. It's all it's also very good, but it has nothing to do with The Witcher and it's, it's, it has nothing to do with fantasy or anything. It's just a very good show. Go watch it.
1: <laughs> and uh, go watch The Expanse because, you know. Yeah. We, I live, might watch in, we live in an era of bounty when it comes to do. television nothing else just television yeah yeah all right guy i'll see you later i'll see you next week